Josh, my friend. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Angela? I'm good. It's good to see you again. Yes, and thank you. Thanks for taking the time to share your wisdom. Uh, I pushed everything out of the way. This is the priority. Oh my gosh. So we, uh, for those of you listening, we had to cancel this recording like four times on both <laughs> sides. And so the fact that we're here, I'm like, it, I don't care if there's like a yeah. hurricane coming through my house. Like yeah. we're, we're going to make this happen. Yeah, I'm going to be exactly. on my phone or like in a corner with my, my podcast recording <laughs> equipment. So we're here. We made it. Okay. Um, Josh, I mean, I know who you are, but tell everyone who you are, what you do, and also just a little bit about your origin story, Yeah, because you and I are in the similar space around culture, so I would love to yeah. hear how you got here. Well, I would say similarly passionate about culture, right? Yes. That's, I think, our that's our connection. So my name is Josh Levine. Um, I teach, write, and talk about company culture as a strategic advantage in business. Uh, that's a lot of buzzwords, but what that means is I believe that culture is not just something that can happen to you in your organization or to an organization, but something that you can actually design for and actually manage. And so I have my, my, um, I will ask my clients what success looks like, uh, for any engagements. And I will tell you that success for me, I have realized in the past couple of years is when we are able to see um, that a good number, maybe a majority of businesses in North America start to talk about building a department or part organization that is there to build, design, and manage company culture. Mm. And that is be that it, and it could because I am deeply. I deeply believe that culture is such a powerful asset in business that it needs to be given the space and the resources, just like your technology group, just like your finance group, just like your ops, just like your product, right? Like all of those things, it, it, those are defined in groups and departments because it's a, it's a specialty. And so that for me is what success is. I want to be able to start to see this being taken in. And I, I will tell you as part of my origin story, I actually started in brand um, as a designer, a graphic designer, brand designer, and then became a brand strategist. So I was a good graphic designer, but I became a brand strategist because I was able to connect with people and help articulate ideas. And so... <clears throat> When I think about the evolution of business, when I was in design school, everybody was talking about convincing business for design to have a seat at the table, seat at the table, seat at the table. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the, when I was, when I was in school and I graduated art school, design school, the best designers wanted to go to the um, private agencies that were doing the cool work. And then if you were like a B, C tier designer, you would go inside of an organization. Now, it's not to say there weren't great designers that inside of organizations, but that was kind of the story, right? If you're awesome, you're going to go work for the design agencies doing the best work. Well, now, 10 years ago, actually, 10, 15 years ago, it switched and... 
Um, so I started, I was in the Bay Area and all of the best designers got jobs at companies inside of the Facebooks of the world. And so it was like the Facebooks and the Googles and the Airbnbs a little bit later and the Pinterests and all that. Those were the organizations that were hoovering up all of the designers and they had built design orgs inside. And so that transition, that's what I want to see for culture. Now, now before it was, there was a desire by organizations to hire agencies to do design and brand work. And I don't, we're not even there yet with culture. And that's where I'm trying to position myself. I think you're trying to position yourself. Hey, we see this need and we want to be there. And so that's, we want to help you. And that, that is what we're looking for. But ultimately I want to be able to see more organizations bring this in as a capacity. So that's my, that's really kind of my vision for this. That's what I was hoping for. Now, um, the, the, to sort of, uh, rejoined or <laughs> rejoined the, the end of that story, how did I move from brand into culture, right? I don't have a degree in org design. I don't have a degree in HR. Um, the reason why is because in my work as a brand strategist, I saw that we were <clears throat> asked to and created these brand, what we'll call brand promises that are articulated verbally and visually. And that's great. That's powerful. But what there was a big gap and the gap was actually delivering on these brand promises, which is they couldn't do it very well. And the people who needed to deliver on those are the employees. And so I thought, and we had done, I, with, with the agency that I was with, we had done some internal work. And I thought that's the kind of work that I, I feel like has a big impact and there's a big need for it. There's not a lot of companies working on this. I didn't know it was called culture at that point, but that's what I was thinking about. I was like, that's what I want to work on is helping folks deliver on that brand promise. And so I was able to port a lot of my skills, storytelling, facilitation, writing, and design in service of actually articulating those stories and getting them instead of it being in brand where you have the, you figure out what the story is and then you tell the world, you figure out what the story is and then you're able to engage your employees. And so really it's two sides of the same coin. So that's where, that's the kind of the, the TLDR of, <laughs> of how Josh got into culture from being a graphic designer. <laughs> I, I love it because, you know, I, I come from a more org design psychology, HR background. And so, if, you know, I'm coming from the other side where one of the first groups that I would engage, like if I was a CHRO at an organization, was marketing. Mm. Because mm -hmm. I understood that we're actually doing the same work, but yep. maybe to slightly different audiences, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that is just such a a key overlap and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you made it because it's <laughs> sorely needed to activate yeah. this, what we call core values or brand promise or employee yeah. employment value proposition. There's many names for it. Um, why, why are we so slow to get to the, the, the same point as like a finance or an operations? Why is it taking so long? I mean, it's, it's, it is, um, it maps almost perfectly to kind of the S curve adoption rate of different aspects of business. And so if you think about, um, 
30, 40 years ago, we were going to look at like the, you know, what was the edge? What was the competitive advantage? And that was going to be quality assurance. And then you kind of got into like the Six Sigma management. And, and so people would adopt that, organizations would adopt that and have that advantage until everybody else adopted it. Right. And this is the ideal of, I mean, capitalism, this is one of the benefits of competition is having that. So now we've got these S curves. And so you're kind of going through it and and it's like, okay, now um, there's sort of, you saw the technology S curve, right. Of like digital transformation. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're far enough along that most organizations, mostly like banks kind of UX are kind of coming around, but um, government is kind of the last on right laggards. So they don't have that incentive. So technology, um, innovation, we're still trying to crack, crack, right? You've got kind of that. And then design became really important. Brand became really important first, right? So how do you tell a story in a constructed way that people can remember in their mind, right? So you're the first, you know, the first brand that comes to mind. So when I say electric vehicle, what is, what comes to mind? What, what brand do you hear? Do you see? I hate to say it, but Tesla. Tesla, (laughs) right? So when I started saying asking that question it was prius and then one day i asked that question everybody said tesla and i was like oh crap right you're totally right Mm -hmm. and guess what in another year 18 months 12 to 18 months maybe it's not tesla anymore Mm -hmm. right maybe it's a rivian maybe it's i don't know right so that's brand and then you've got design being sucked up because the advent of the internet and you've got these you know websites as tools and oh my gosh if we create a better user experience it's a better product and so now you have design and so you know you're you still have folks that are on the leading edge so airbnb i mentioned before mm-hmm. great product design right really a, they have so many designers working on every little thing and it's a really decent it's a really good experience right mm-hmm. and there are some that are not as good but you're kind of getting there it's like a, you know it's like Airbnb, Avis also needs a good design, right? So Mm -hmm. now you've got this piece. Okay. So we're talking about the S curve and Mm -hmm. building and building and building. Now we're thinking about what are the, like, how do I start to, you know, continuing to be like, what's my advantage? How do I win over my competitors? And one of the ways of thinking about where we are is, Oh, talent. Hmm. Talent is really important, right? We need creative people and we need the best people. We need smart people. So I don't know if you remember, but many years ago, Google put a uh, billboard up on the 280 on the way down to Silicon Valley. And it was a crazy math problem, right? And if you (laughs) solved it, you could get an interview, Hmm. right? So that's like talent, right? They're looking for the best of the best. But you are also thinking about how do you bring and attract and keep these people if you're not, if you don't have the wallet, the Facebook or the Google wallet, right? Like if you're not, if you don't have that much. So what is it that's going to get people there and keep them engaged? And how do I find the right people anyways? And so when we're thinking about talent, if you just go, okay, I'm going to get the best, the, all the valedictorians or, or whatever it is, or hire only from this like one amazing college, right? So again, Silicon Valley. Stanford, it's like, there's that shortcut, like that mnemonic of like, Stanford is like the best people. 
But those people may not stay. They may not be engaged. It may not be a fit. You may, you know, may, may go somewhere else. And so what you really are looking for is a way to find the right people who want to join your organization to believe in that mission and achieve those things. And you want to establish a set of rules and expectations so that they can succeed better. And so culture is becoming this really compelling and powerful, what I call the only sustainable competitive advantage. And the reason is because talent can be taken. They can leave, right? You, you absolutely can, can either go by your own, you know, whatever, what, because you want it, you got to hire it away or whatever it is. But if you're able to articulate a culture that helps people understand why they should choose you and then engage and do their best work, then it's a benefit, not just for the uh, company, but it's a benefit for the employee and it's a benefit for the customer. And so now you have this kind of triple threat of benefits. If you invest in culture, you're actually, um, you're investing further up the food chain, I guess, maybe if we're looking at like, you know, the value prop. Now it means it's a little harder to get going and it's a little harder to see. There's not like an immediate turnaround, like sell harder. And this quarter, you're going to see the, the price jump, right? But it's like with culture, that's a long-term play. And so when you are thinking about how to bring these people in, how to get the best people, you want that edge and you want them engaged and you want them to be able to be successful. I want to know what it's like to be here. And you know what? We need to get people up and running faster. You need those set of rules that, you know, you need to articulate what it is that you're expecting of people. And so now we're seeing this kind of uptick mm. on the S curves, people, organizations are starting to understand and adopt culture as a power, as a, as a way to succeed in the market. Mm. Yes. And I think that it also is just a way for you to, I mean, for lack of better words, it's a way for you to find your people, right? And it creates mm. clarity around the experience within the organization. And I think what I'm finding with some organizations is a lot of people have core values. They're beautiful. They're plastered on a wall somewhere or in a booklet or on their website, but they haven't done the work to activate those values within the organization operationally, which I think is what you're talking about. You know, these norms, mm -hmm. these behaviors. Yeah. And that takes, first of all, you're 100% of the time asking people, asking the system to change a little bit because mm -hmm. you're saying this isn't just lip service anymore. This is how we, mm -hmm. this is how we function. Mm -hmm. And we're being clear about that. And the one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Elon Musk, as you could tell, because I, I was like Tesla, Ugh. Tesla. but yeah, but I will I will give him the fact that he's been very clear about the culture he's building at his organization. Right. Mm -hmm. So yep. now people who who are in line with that from a values perspective can join and those who don't cannot join. I mean, yeah, they can leave. That clarity is yeah. so key. Yeah. Um, and the clarity yeah. and that clarity needs to continue in your day to day Yes, as well, right? Like what is expected of me here? What is most important? What should I be prioritizing? Now, yes. what I, what I will say is that we're at this kind of uptick of that S curve. Mm -hmm. Um, and what 
when people come, I don't know when clients show up to your door, but the majority of clients come will call when they're in crisis. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's fo- that's the forcing function. They have had some sort of culture crisis, some press thing, or pressure. We can call it pressure. So often, uh, uh, a number of times, I've gotten calls from hyper growth technology groups that are have a mandate to grow. You know, another t- two times in the next mm-hmm. year, right? And so you're like, oh, what does that mean? How do I find those people? Who do I want? And how do we make sure that our culture is the kind of culture that we want? Because you might start hiring if you start hiring and you're like, oh, you you came from this company. And then this person's like, you should hire these people. And all of a sudden you've got 20% of your workforce coming from this other company. And guess what? You're going to have that kind of culture because that's how they worked. And so you've got these forcing functions, getting people onto that S curve. But I think what I try to do on my podcast is have culture leaders articulate the value of culture in their lives and how they've used it so that I can spread that story further and say, Hey, culture is really powerful. Here's the success. Here's the, the business benefit. Here is how it happens. And so to me, that's, that's what I'm trying to do is, is, uh, get more people up on that curve. So it's not, it's not just crisis time. Right. It's like before the crisis hits and that's, and that way we can, it is uh, a lot more effective. It's a lot easier to implement your culture before it becomes a crisis. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, it's a lot faster and it's a lot cheaper. And so, and you don't get hit in the press by whatever the, whatever, whatever occurred, right? Like people leave and you got this whole thing. You're like, uh uh-oh. Yeah. And I I think, um, I mean, I would love to get your thoughts on this because, you know, a lot of times people ask me, well, when, when should we be Mm. establishing, designing Mm -hmm. and then assessing culture? Mm -hmm. How often are we doing? Is it a one and done thing? So what, what do you think? (laughs) You give me your answer first. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right, right. Is, is finance a one and done thing? (laughs) Like, all right, we're done. We're working on finance this quarter. Um, only for okay. this quarter. That's it. So, so I'll, the kind of the, the, I'll go, I'll, I'll take you through like the growth arc. We'll, we'll talk about this as like a narrative of a company mm-hmm. scaling. So when a company starts, let's say a startup, the culture is the founder's culture. And that is the person who's going to, for better or worse, is going to be establishing it inherently. They grow and they're going to have access to that person. When you have access to that person, that's that's the person who's going to give you the raise. That's the person who's going to give you the title. That's the per- right. So you're looking to them for the success cues. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, the company scales um, far enough that you don't have act- regular access to the leaders. I still think that that's important and you need to provide that with all hands or whatever it might be. But at that point, when you cross that Rubicon of f- folks, like number of people, then you need to start to codify that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that number of employees is actually some, usually around 50. Mm-hmm. You hit usually when you hit about 50, you cross over just about to hit 50. Um, that's when you start to see um, subgroups forming. And that's the driver of 
kind of culture getting a little bit um, uh, unwieldy, a little more, little more um, differentiated. And maybe that's not bad, but what you are risking is that it, a group succeeds and is doing it in a way that you are not, you know, as a founder or, you know, an investor are not okay with. And if you're making, you know, if you're cheating or you're selling in a different way or you're prioritizing something else, um, then that is not the kind of culture that you want. And so at that point, that's when I recommend folks start to really take a serious look is about 50 mm-hmm. and establishing those expectations and norms. And um, I think about culture tools that you want to implement. So in my book, Great Mondays, I articulate six components of culture. And the first two are purpose and values. Purpose is your peak of the mountain. Values are the guardrails, the, the flags that you establish, telling people about where, you know, what is, what is the, how are we going to get there? And so in my model and the way that I work with my clients is we establish those and say, hey, this is what we are expecting. Here are the kinds of decisions we're making. This is how we're doing that, right? And so those are the vessels that hold the expectations that we want to articulate and we can point to. And this is the other end of the policies are um, how organizations um, prevent bad behavior, Mm -hmm. Um, right? So it's kind of like the tail end of that. So establishing values is sort of the front end of that. That's what I would say. And maybe if you do a really good job and you get your culture moving in the right direction, you don't need as many of these policies. And, and I think that could be more efficient. So then you're growing, then you've established those. You're 50, you're 100, you're 200. My, my, what I have observed is it is a smart thing to do to reevaluate, and maybe not change, but reevaluate your values every two to three years. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go really rapidly and you're going to enter in new markets, maybe sooner. If it's something that's a little bit more you've grown to, you know, and you've stuck with, you know, you've got 10,000 employees globally and it's the same. And then, so maybe the, you know, the values will tend to stay the same a little bit for larger organizations, but you should always be thinking about and re-asking that question. Like, is, are these the right things that we want people to focus on? Right. So my rule is you get three to five values, five at the most. Mm -hmm. And that is because I'm forcing you as a leader to prioritize. And so when you prioritize those, those five things, these are the things that are most important for us to be moving, you know, forward on. Mm -hmm. Great. And then when we succeed at a particular value, then we can say that that's something we've done well and will continue to do well, culture works in that way, Mm self-fulfilling. And so that value can actually be subsumed under a different one, or you can free up that space for something else. The story that I tell about that is I was working with this tech firm that was about to go public in the next six to 12 months. I didn't know it at the time, but they had hired us to do to help them refresh their values. Mm. And um, they were actually an amazingly diverse organization counter to what you've heard about tech, although that probably is true. But with um, that, this organization in particular was really, really had all of this stuff built in and it was really wonderful. They had a bunch of 
really great employee resource groups and diverse hiring practices and all this stuff. And they were, and my client was like, well, of course, diversity is going to be one of our values. And I was like, mm, maybe, or maybe it's not something like you've already nailed it. Maybe you, maybe you need to free that up to actually move the needle. And I'm redefining values in this way. They don't live forever. I think a lot of traditional companies will say, these are our values, integrity and innovation and their values forever, but they're not so useful that way. So there's I'm some thinking, that are more table stakes, right? Like table, some exactly. Are- you're like, what is the opposite of integrity? Like, you're just going to accept that? Like, what? Yes. What? Like, that's right. like your value should be a strategic choice, this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the for um, for them, it was, hey, let's free this up to make a decision about what's the thing that we need people to start working on. So accountability was really important. People didn't weren't being accountable and owning projects. And so that is where we kind of focus that particular value, let's say. Um, and they so I freed it up. We didn't need that that one you know variable, that one um, slot for a value from diversity. Although it's important, it's still built into one of the other ones, but it's all but it's all there. And that's that's what I'm hoping for when I think about that. Sorry, that yeah, was a little uh, no. values values tangent. <laughs> no, I, I mean it's as you said, it's a cor- cornerstone to how we're how we're activating the culture, and I loved your narrative and storytelling around the maturity of the organization and when we need to be thinking about these different elements of culture. Um, so. You mentioned your book, Great Mondays, mm-hmm. which I would love for you to tell us. Yes, there it is. For those of you listening, we just got a uh, uh, Yeah, I showed it, right. For those of you on audio, I just held it up. Yeah. Yes, it's called Great Mondays. Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love. Um, you can find it anywhere that you get books. It is also available in audio format as well as digital. Um, and it lays out the six components of company culture. And the reason why that I, the reason why I wrote this book is because it felt like too many people were, um, I think, thinking about and relenting their kind of autonomy around culture because it was like, yeah, well, it's kind of whatever it is. It's a sort of this fuzzy thing and we don't really know. And you're like, it's whatever the, you know, it's whatever the founder wants. And I felt as I've articulated, that's a really powerful thing that we can actually manage. And so I was able to um, work with some folks to articulate this um, cycle of six components that help frame up the parts and pieces of what it takes to build a culture and to do it in a way that you want responsibly and thoughtfully and, you know, in a, you know, designerly way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the first three components, we've talked about two of them, purpose and values. The third is behaviors. Behaviors are why we're talking about culture at all. This is what, this is what this is all about. Right. So purpose, values, behaviors, that's the design of culture. Those are the three that are going to get you to, Hey, this is where we are on the map. This is where we want to go. Now, just because you have it on the map doesn't mean it's going to happen, right? Like you were saying, got some values up on the wall. See, integrity, right? And then meanwhile, yes. like that doesn't that doesn't matter. So we have to actually get the humans to to um, operationalize, right? We have to activate our culture, and that's the second three um, components. 
So purpose, values, behaviors, the first three. Recognition, rituals, and cues are the second three. That's how we activate. So everybody knows quickly, I'll tell you, recognition. Everybody understands what recognition and rewards are. It happens all the time. The problem is most organizations recognize the wrong thing. They need to be recognizing values-driven behaviors, not just random like outcomes or sales goals. I, I know that sales goals are very motivating for a certain number of people, but outcomes are not how you drive culture. Outcomes are what you what you say when you say that you're you're rewarding outcomes is however you get there doesn't matter. Just sell more or whatever it might be. But culture is about how it's how you choose your to operate in different scenarios. And so you, what you want to do is you want to reward values-driven behaviors. Whole chapter about that in the book. Lots to say about it. I won't say it all now. Rituals. You got to read the book. Right? You got to read the book. That's right. You got to read the book. Um, rituals are how we build and strengthen relationships because relationships are the synapses of culture. And so as your organization grows, you're going to get silos and that's fine, or you're going you're gonna to get groups and different buildings, and now you have distributed organizations, right? And it's like there's all these different groups. And so what you need is actually to build and establish relationships so that that culture can actually spread. And that's even bigger of a challenge. As a matter of fact, if I were to identify the biggest, the component that is going to be the biggest challenge in our sort of modern, you know, post-lockdown highly distributed society, it's going to be about those rituals. And actually that's been what I've been asked to talk most about is actually, okay, our teens are no longer feeling very productive and connected. How do we do that? Mm. So that's rituals. And then cues are how we um, keep people tethered to the big goals, what we're trying to achieve, right? What are we trying to achieve in the future? Most explicitly our values and our purpose. And so what are the digital physical behavioral reminders of this culture that we're trying to build because unlike me where I think about culture all the time most people don't because they have things to do they got you know business to take care of they got emails to answer they got reports to create and so I, I don't pretend like it's the most important thing in everybody's life so you have to keep people you have to as a manager or a leader you have to remind people what that means and that brings us back to the beginning to purpose and values and so that's how I've tried to articulate a system of you know engaging folks to to be able to leaders um, and managers to be able to understand that it actually is a system. It's something that is manageable. It's something that is measurable. And, and so again, we're going right back to my, like, what does success look like? I want more, more people, more leaders, more businesses to be able to go, ah, this is really important. Here's how we're going to, we're going to create a process. And that's what we're going to do. I absolutely love it, Josh. I really appreciate this conversation. The, the, perspective you bring to this work is so needed. Um, and I think the one thing that I'm taking away from our conversation is that culture is going to happen regardless of you managing it. If you do manage it and you're clear about what you, are, you want your culture to be, yep. you can really future-proof your organization, sustain the people and the outcomes you're looking to accomplish. I kind of think about it as a, a garden, right? Like if you leave mm -hmm. the garden to just grow all over the place. You're going to get, get weeds. wildflowers. You get some weeds. Yep. No one's, no one's uh, rowing in the same direction anymore. Right. But when you're tending to a garden, 
then you're starting to get the beautiful flowers and, um, you know, your shaping. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to. I love harvest. it. I love it. My, my weird analogies. Uh, but Josh, tell us where people can find you. We heard about the book, Great Mondays. We'll make mm-hmm. sure to put that in the show notes. But how can people find you if they want to work with you? Uh, greatmondays.com has all the information. Um, I've launched a podcast this this year. So if you're a culture podcast listener, which 100% of you clearly are, because you are listening to one right now, uh, you should find Great Mondays Radio and also subscribe and listen to all the amazing conversations I'm having. Um, So that's there. Uh, The book is there. And you can also uh, send me an email through that website. Or if you want, find me on LinkedIn, you can find the um, I'm the Josh Levine with the little lightning bolt next to the next to his name, <laughs> aka Josh Levine. So find me on LinkedIn. Would love to connect with anybody who would like to say, "Hey, I heard you on Angela's podcast," and I would love to connect. So that's all the ways. Always looking to talk to amazing people about culture and uh, just like just like today. I love it. I love it, well, Josh. It's so lovely to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Angela.